So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. Gravis says the casket was going down, literally, literally trying to do that. And uh, then Pete died from a drug or overdose when he was 29 from possibly that same bad heroin or that good heroin, whatever, whatever type of opioids. So that's an interesting connection, but the bad and good, bad and good of mafia. But uh, he didn't live. He, my brother wasn't old enough for cream rice to the top to, to sink in. So I'm very fortunate that I lived till I was, that bit, I was 13 and got enough of that information. And so those are the only people I work with. Dream rises to the top, period. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Justin Breen. Justin, thanks for doing this. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you and enjoyed listening to your podcast interview with Gerald Zimmerman earlier this morning during my run. It was really, really fascinating, just a fascinating discussion. So I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, and, and tell people about your company. Yeah, sure. So a journalist for 20 years and created my entire business model based on how PR firms annoyed me for 20 years. So just saw a problem, created a solution problem solve successful global company and uh, so i guess technically it's a pr firm but it's essentially a a model that i would have wanted if i was still a journalist and it, it works with any business size any location on any vertical just solves the problem and i just work with the top people on the planet yeah so so explain more about that yeah so how to explain more about that yeah so the simple formula all i do is hear blah 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 and simplify everything that's how my brain works so i hear blah 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 and then simplify and turn it into patterns that's how my brain has always worked and so the formula to building a successful global company is very it's very simple very very simple as you see a problem you create solution to problem problem solve you you execute the, the solution and then successful global company so I just was annoyed by PR firms for 20 years with bad press releases from people I didn't know. And you get those hundreds of times a day. So my firm created, you know, I just created a solution to that problem, which the whole process is on my firm's website. There's no tricks or anything. It's like, this is what my company does. It creates newsworthy stories similar to what I did as a journalist. It becomes a link on the client's website under news or blog. So it looked like a Salt Lake Tribune or whatever, New York Times, take that link, pitch it to media all over the world. Media is interested, put them in touch with the client, problem solved. So that's it. Yeah. You know, I think about, you know, we get, you know, now that this show has gotten more popular, we get, you know, many, many people reaching out each week trying to get on the show, right? And I'm interested in your thoughts. I mean, I I think about how many bad pitches we get. (laughs) And I think about the like, I, I think it that it's like, I mean, I've been a sales guy forever. I felt like I got my first, you know, I got my first sales job 25 years ago as a 15 year old kid, right? And I've just been in different forms of sales ever since. And so I get the idea of like, 
hey, build a pitch and, and, you know, try to win on numbers, try to get it to as many people as you can. Right. (laughs) But, and at the same time, it does feel like there is some element of, there's some element of quality required for the quantity to be of much use, you know, like, Mm -hmm. When it's obvious that they have no idea what the show is about, they, you know, they've like, they don't know who I am. They don't know what the show is about. And there, there's been like, it's like a 100% copy and paste of their previous things. And it's like, it's not a big draw. Like I really have to, you know, whether it's me or my team going through them, we really have to go through and go like, we almost have to like decipher through like their standardized, you know, kind of like throw up on you kind of thing. Of like, okay, is there anything in here that it would actually fit our audience? And so like, <laughs> when I hear, you know, a guy built a $7 billion company, and now he's got his next startup to 2 billion. I'm like, great, Ajit can come on the show for sure. You know what I mean? Right? right. But there's so many of the other ones that are like, like, it's just not even close. And you're like, man, you wonder if like, just even a minute or two to like, try to make some sort of personalization. Yep. Some of those ones that were on the fence could have made it. But for us, like they go straight, straight to the uh, straight to the spam filter. I mean, we get so many of them that we, we only respond to the ones that are of interest. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, so you just explained how I created a global company in four years with zero business background, because imagine that annoyance multiplied by a gajillion times over 20 years. So yeah. that's literally a day as a journalist is being annoyed by people you don't know who don't, they, that's called spray and pray. So my company's the opposite of spray and pray. It's here's story that is useful. Here's media contact that wants to do this problem. That's my whole point is you see a problem, you create solution, problem solve successful global company. So innovation, all I hear, you know, most of my day, good part of my day is talking to five and 10 between five and 10 of the top entrepreneurs in the world, all over the world. It doesn't matter what industry they're in. It doesn't matter how big the company is. It doesn't matter where they're located. That's meaningless. It's They see a problem. They create a solution. They solve it. Successful global company. So whether that's a loophole, whether they're innovating something completely new, that's, that's all it is. That's literally all. It doesn't matter what industry it's in. It's you see this problem, you create the solution, you execute it. You don't just talk about it. Nothing annoys me more besides bad press releases than someone talking about something and not doing anything. That's why I liked your interview with with Gerald Zimmerman, because mafia just gets stuff done. They don't talk about it. They get it done and they execute it. And, And whether that's an illegal or legal business, blah, blah, blah is meaningless without execution. So I just work with people that that talk very little, actually, and then they just execute it. They just get stuff done. Let's talk more action. For people who missed that episode, can you tell them just a little bit about his book, the Relentless book, the the forensics of the mobs, <laughs> the forensics of mobs, mobsters, business practices, and basically what entrepreneurs and the rest of us can learn <clears throat> from it? Yeah. So there were okay because all I hear is blah 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 and simplify, right? So there were two things that really stood out. One, if you go to relentless.com, it goes to amazon.com. I thought that was really interesting. I did not know that. And I'm a very high fact finder. So little kind of nuggets like that really fascinate me. Two, he was talking about how Chapo in Mexico, you know, he, he, he took this problem with if there was bad heroin or, or Oxycontin and turned it into good heroin. He's, he's a tremendous innovator with a bad product and he found a way to make it a good product. And then, and then the, the author was talking about how he hired some chemists and then he goes, oh, wait, oh, he didn't hire them. <laughs> Probably, you know, did some, another word for hire, but. But so I was really fascinated by that. Uh, one, because again, mobsters or mafia, they just get stuff done. Two, it really ties to my own family. What, is, what does that mean? What does that mean, right? So, so my father was 61 when I was born, right? He was 61 when I was born. He'd be 105 now if he was alive. 
And uh, he grew up with nothing. Him and, his, him, he and his four brothers grew up with nothing in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. And my father was a brilliant man. And uh, a local Irish mobster in his hometown of Elgin spotted and realized my dad as a teenager was a brilliant man. So essentially, he bankrolled his entire college, sent him to college, law school, bankrolled him. And uh, then my father, I, uh, you know, there's my, here, I'll just show you this book real quick. So my uh, first cousin wrote this book about my father's family's history. So they talk about this Irish mobster, Jack Heslin, Jack Heslin, who did not have a family of his own. He, my father's father, my grandfather, rented his tailor shop from Jack, and then Jack spotted my father's uniqueness, his brilliance, and then he bankrolled it because he saw he saw innovation there in my dad's brain. And uh, then also, when I was a child, one of my first uh, childhood memories is my father's best friend was killed by the mafia. It was a very famous mafia slaying. My father's best friend, who I'm not going to name, but it was a va- famous mafia slaying. He, his, he was played by Alan King in the movie Casino. So Alan King who was shot in the parking lot in the movie Casino. That was my dad's best friend. And so when I was five or six, I remember my dad vividly coming to our car saying, hey, they shot a person's name. And uh, then my father tried to hide us with our neighbors because they, he thought they were going to kill him next. And my father was the, uh, the president of an insurance company. He was the clean guy. He was the guy that ran everything and executed it. And he didn't participate in the mafia part of it. But we had our phone lines tapped by the FBI. And there's all sorts of it was really before my memory started to form. But but that's that's how I grew up. That's how I grew up. And so I just think it's a very interesting you know, it's a very interesting take because when I was in college, I went to the University of Illinois and, and one of my professors, and this was in 1998, he's like, don't forget that the mafia still has a lot of power. Even though they, they don't talk, the media doesn't talk about mafia as much, they still have a lot of power. And that's still the case. It's still the case for sure. Yeah. You know, you think about, I mean, I thought it was, so there was another pitch that was easy, right? <laughs> you know, you know, very successful, well-known University of Rochester professor writes a book about what we can learn from the mob, right? right. And, and, you know, basically how the a lot of organized crime has a better culture, better work cultures in certain ways, as far as generating loyalty than uh, a lot of corporate America does. Right. And it, it's tough, you know, like our charity Child Rescue, we're actively working against organized crime, supporting law enforcement and aftercare facilities that are trying to get away from the things from it. But it's kind of like, you know, uh, there's a guy we had on the show, Tom Bigley, who was formerly, you know, Army Ranger, went in the yep. special mission unit, yep. classified unit of military uh, in the Army. And he he talks about this idea. I don't know if he talked about it on the show, but he... I remember my wife and I were at breakfast with him once and he was talking about how he's learned from every single one of his bosses. And I was like, really? You didn't have any bad bosses? He's like, I didn't say that. <laughs> said, I've learned from every one of them. He said that he said it was just difference between sometimes he was learning what to do when he became a leader and sometimes he was learning what not to do. And, you know, it's interesting how many principles there are from people where, you know, we don't need to we don't need to follow their example in a lot of areas to learn one little thing from them, you know? And so, so I'm interested, you know, we've had people on the show from very diverse backgrounds. You know, one of the shows that, that your story makes me think of a little bit, and I'll explain why we had Randy Reyes on the show years ago, who was living in Lebanon when in the middle of the civil war there with the Maronites and, and, you know, the, the Muslim community, there kind of ripping the, ripping the city in half. Right. right. And, he talked about like, you know, begging his mom, can he go to his friend's house, even though there's like a gunfire and regular bombs going off. And he's like, he's like, you don't understand how normal that can feel. He's like, it's like, that's just when that's it goes on life. and on and on. 
Yeah. And he's like, you kind of learned, like you kind of learned to like stick to the side of the building and go from this to that one. And he's like, I'm like a 13 year old kid. Like I don't, I'm sick of being in the house all day. Right. And it happens so much. You get used to it. And right. it's such a funny thing to say. It makes me think of that Victor Frankl quote in uh, man's search for meaning about being in the Nazi prison camps of like, Hey, there's these guys who said they couldn't, they're light sleepers. If somebody even walked down the hallway at their house, they would wake up and here they are in like a room with a hundred men snoring and all this stuff. And he says, truly man can get used to anything. So I'm interested with the way that you grew up, you know, there, there's obviously some some pretty strong negatives that would come in uncertain situations or violence, things like this. But there's probably also some lessons learned. What, what were any of the benefits of, of lessons learned for you? I mean, yeah, so that's one of the best questions anyone's asked me. And I've, you know, I've done hundreds of interviews. So that was a great question. And so my father died when I was 13. And just as just as background about my father, he was a soldier in World War II. He was a war hero, shot down nine times in combat, and kept a diary of his experiences in World War II in the Battle of the Hurricane Forest. And his diary is my most cherished possession. I found it after he died, and I write exactly like he does. Boom, 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 boom. Informant entertain, informant entertain, no fluff. Like his diary, if I ever get it published, I mean, it's, it's one of the greatest things ever written. And so... When you have a father at that level, not only is my dad, he's, he's like, he's a hero, literally. And so the, the one thing that he said, one thing, one thing that he said that I lived just, he lived just long enough for it to sink in because again, he died when I was 13, but he always said the cream rises to the top, the cream rises to the top, the cream rises to the top. The cream. So I just work with the cream that's risen to the top or the people that'll do what it takes to rise to the top. And, and so again, I was 13 when he died. My youngest brother was 10 when he died and he didn't live long enough to get that information. So when my dad died, my 10 year old, 10 year old brother literally tried to jump in the, into the grave as the casket was going down, literally, literally tried to do that. And uh, then he died from a drug or overdose when he was 29 from possibly that same bad heroin or that good heroin, whatever, whatever type of opioids. So that's an interesting connection, but the bad and good, bad and good of mafia. But uh, he didn't live. He, my brother wasn't old enough for cream rice to the top to, to sink in. So I'm very fortunate that I lived till I was, that, that I was 13 and got enough of that information. And so those are the only people I work with, cream rises to the top, period. Yeah. So a couple of quick questions. Where was it in Chicago? You said you grew up? What's the neighborhood or what's the... Yep. So I'm in Northbrook now and I grew up in Northbrook, two miles north of where I lived. Okay. Okay. And then uh, what was your, what was your dad in, doing in the, in the military? Was he a pilot? Was he a gunner? Was he, what was he doing when he got shot down? Yep. So he was a spotter. He was a spotter. And uh, so one of the passages in the diary is, I'm a really good writer. He's million times better than me. And again, he wrote this in a battlefield. I don't know. I still don't know how he did it. And so one of the passages was he got in, there was no runway. So they took these Jeeps. It was snow covered, it was snow covered because it was around Christmas time. It was cold, very cold Belgian German border. And so they took these trucks and they went back and forth on the trucks to make, make the snow into essentially a de facto runway. And so my father and the pilot got into their plane without parachutes because parachutes would have weighed down the plane. So they got up into the air, I think about 100 feet in the air, and then the engine died. The engine died, so they're going to die, right? So no, they, they didn't die because the pilot found, a, pilot found a, a little spot of land that was 200 feet long by about 20 feet wide with a stone barn at the end of it. This is my dad writing this in this diary, and so that he was able to miraculously land it and survived and then 
dad got out of the plane and uh, you know this this uh, you know the pilot got out of the plane and started crying uncontrollably i didn't I, it was very difficult to read that cuz here's a you know an adult man crying uncontrollably cuz i think you know war just gets to people like that and so I'll, I'll explain, you know, my mom was 27 when I was born. So my dad was 61. My mom was 27, 34 year difference, right? So in, in uh, his late 50s, my dad was uh, driving on an expressway and a drunk driver swerved across the median and hit him head on. And the drunk driver was killed instantly. But my dad broke every bone in his body, but he survived because you get, when you get shot down nine times in battlefield and you survive, then you just survive, right? There's no excuses only only action. And so, you know, my mom was his nurse. So my mom literally nursed him back to health, saved his life. And then most of my days talking to the top entrepreneurs in the world. And, and I still have not met anyone with more hustle than my mom. Never. I've never met anyone with more hustle. Ultimate survive and thrive. But my mom is overcoming life. It's incredible. Hustle at the highest level. So you combine storytelling, cream rises to the top, rain, battlefield, shot down, you get back in the plane without a parachute combined with endless hustle. And here I am. I'm just a combination of that. Yeah. So, and what led you to journalism to begin with? Right. So that's what I mean. I was born with a story. So there's, even before I was born, I was meant to be a journalist because of my dad's brain and the way he wrote his diary and then how he met my mom. So I was born with a story and uh, endless hustle. So I'm an entrepreneur who happens to be a journalist, not a journalist who's a journalist. There's a very big difference between an entrepreneur who happens to be a journalist and a journalist who's a journalist. Most journalists who are journalists come from a negative perspective. If it bleeds, it leads, which is fine. I just come from a place of abundance. And when I was a journalist, I wrote stories that would end the newscast as things, things that were positive and inspirational things about people innovating things at the highest level. So that's not what I do. That's what I do with my firm now. No difference. Yeah. So for people listening today, you know, CEOs, entrepreneurs, there's obviously so many people, only so many people that will ever work with, with you and your company. If you, it, for, for advice for people who never do, what's, what's one of the first things you teach your clients? Right. Yeah. So that's a good question. So I just gave a uh, presentation, co-hosted a presentation with uh, Peter Diamandis. He's one of the top entrepreneurs in the world. And so he and I co-hosted a co-hosted a session on storytelling for the entire Abundance 360 community, which is one of the top entrepreneurial groups in the world. And I'm fortunate to be a part of that. So how that happened was I'm in Abundance 360. 99% of the folks in A360 at my level are running 10 million to $10 billion companies, right? So these are the highest performing people on the planet. And so one of the presenters at Abundance 360 was Bill Gross. So Bill Gross has started more than 150 businesses since he you know, started more than 150 companies. That's an insane number. And so the end, at the end of his presentation, he subtly said, oh, I wish more entrepreneurs and CEOs would invest in their storytelling because it helps them get in front of people and draw investors or retain employees or attract employees. And I'm like, I go, did he just say that? Like, did someone who just who started more than 150 companies just say he wishes more CEOs and entrepreneurs would invest in their storytelling? Like, oh, I'll lead a session on storytelling. So, you know, that was how that was how that happened. But, you know, so I give you that background because in terms of teaching, nobody cares about what you do. They care about who you are for the most part. And all these press releases always talk about what you do, not who you are. Guess what? Nobody cares unless you've built a reputation where people care about who you are over years and years, then they will care about what you do. But that's the thing is all these people just talk about what you do and nobody cares for the most part. They care about who you are. Yeah, you know, um, one of the people we had on the show recently, Stacey Havener, she runs a firm out in Rhode Island that if you're like 
you know, if you worked at Goldman Sachs or Citigroup or something and you, you know, you've, you've done your 25 years or 30 years and you want to start your own fund, mm-hmm. but you know exactly what to do with the money, but you got to get, you got to raise your hundred million bucks or you got to raise your billion so you can have one of these mutual funds or something like this, mm-hmm. right? 40 act fund. She, her firm's got a really great reputation for getting boutique managers money, which is like 97% of the money in that world goes to BlackRock and the big guys, right? So she's raised like $8 billion for her clients that led to another $30 billion getting raised. And she says all the time, the tough thing is getting them to tell their backstories. Right. right. Yeah. So media, okay, because I'm a simplifier, right? Blah, blah, blah. Simplify patterns. Okay. So media only needs two things. Only two. That's all they need. One is a good story. What does that mean? A good story. Everyone has a good story. They just don't know how to do that because why would they know how to do that? I don't even, I can barely tie my shoes, but at this highest level. So a good story. What did you overcome? Your backstory. Why are you starting this company? What, are, what, what problem are you solving? That's easy. Where, you know, where are your, what do your parents do? All that stuff. That's one. Two is a news peg. A news peg is why is it a story now? So did you pivot since COVID? Are you running across the United States? Did you just sell your company? Did you just buy a company? That, that's it. But that's, that's not the main part of the story. The news peg is blended into the story. The story is the story with the news peg blended into it. And uh, all these new press releases, they're just, they, they, just, they serve the client. The, the stories that my firm does, it serves the journalist. Byproduct is the client serve, but it serves the journalist first. You know, I, I hadn't thought about this before, but that news peg is almost like the timeliness. That's aspect, right. Why, right? Is, it, why, why is it a story now? Yeah. So what, I mean, there's no reason to talk to someone if there's no reason to talk to someone. <laughs> but if you give them a reason to talk to someone, then, then there's a reason to talk to them. But that's the whole point of a news peg. But the beauty of a news peg is you can pretty much, news pegs are pretty easy to find. Even if you don't think there is one, there there can be one. That's that's not hard. And then, you know, in terms of how my brain works, because I was born with a story, I just hear blah, blah, blah. And if something's newsworthy, because as a journalist, I wrote two to three stories on deadline every day for 20 years. It just dings in my head. So all the story is just a collection of dings that are actually newsworthy that serve the journalist. Byproduct because the client is constantly interviewed because the stories serve the journalist and then the public actually cares. They care about who the person is. Then they'll care about what they do. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in any thoughts you have of that, that fine line between telling your backstory and overindulging mm-hmm. in self-focus, you know, because there's certainly a part where it, it stops being about the story for the reader and it starts being a brag session, right? <laughs> That's an interesting take. That's a really interesting take of, of that what you just said. Let me counter with this. I'm one of the extremely direct, and that's very intentional because directness weeds out nonsense and attracts greatness. The only people that understand what I'm saying and relate to it are the top performing entrepreneurs in the world or the ones that will make the investment to do that. They'll, they're the cream that will rise to the top. And I know my tribe. I know who I am, and then I know who I'm not. So, so whoever the, that entrepreneur is trying to attract, if they're trying to attract people like me, then this is how I talk. So people either like that or they don't. The people who do like that, again, are these only people I work with are, bless you, bless you, yeah, the, the only people I work with are, they only have three attributes in their mindset because when you have these three attributes, you can only be one of two types of people, period, because I just simplify everything. So the, those three attributes are abundance, visionary investment, abundance, visionary investment. So people with those three attributes are either running high six-figure to 10-figure businesses, see their families whenever they want to, and they do what they like to do and what they're good at, or they're going to be one of those people. They're not there yet revenue-wise, but they will be. So it eliminates what do you cost or charge. It eliminates scarcity. My, it, it eliminates all that stuff. All my company is is tens of thousands of people with that those mindsets, and it just eliminates 
it just eliminates all noise and nonsense. It just it just shortcuts that entire thing. And so whether folks are repelled by how I talk, that's irrelevant because the people I want to work with, they're attracted to it. And that's that's who I'm talking to. I'm not talking to the vast majority of the world. I'm talking to the people that actually understand what I'm talking about. And it's it's really interesting that you said brag session. That was super interesting. People with the wrong mindset think I come off as arrogant and it's the exact opposite of arrogance. Arrogant people think they're great at everything. They brag about everything. Confident people like me, we're just confident at a certain skill set of what we do. And in terms of the two things that I'm really good at, I'm really good at them and at everything else. I don't have any skills. Like it's, I just, and then I just stay in my zone of genius. So that's confidence. And confidence just attracts other confident people, not arrogant people. It repels arrogant people. It attracts confident people. You know, it's interesting talking about Peter, Peter mm-hmm. Diamantis. You know, I love his books, Abundance yep. and Bold. I love his his podcast with just Dan Sullivan. Just to it today. Yeah. Strategic yeah. Dan's Coach. my hero. Dan's my uh, yeah. hero. You know, I, I'm fascinated with that guy. A number of our a number of our entrepreneurs that we help Here. at Greystoke Media go. are also strategic coach clients. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Right. And, and so I've like, I've learned a lot by osmosis mm-hmm. because even though we're, we're helping them with something, they end up saying, Oh, you know what Dan right. says about that? Right. <laughs> I'm like, so like, I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to end up a strategic coach client. Yeah. If you want an intro, you're really, uh, so one, you are a hundred percent perfect. So strategic coaches, it's for one out of every 400 entrepreneurs, not one out of 400 people, one out of 400 entrepreneurs. Those are Dan's words, not mine. And uh, if you know your Colby, K-O-L-B-E, which I put in my name here, but I'd love to know your score. So the, the reason I mentioned Colby is for two reasons. One, every time I talk to someone who knows their Colby score, it's a higher level of conversation 100% of the time, not 99% of the time, 100%, because it's, your, it, it's not your personality, it's your brain strengths. It's how your brain works. And then the second reason is the Bible is Strategic Coach, which is the top entrepreneurial group in the world, which I've been very fortunate to be in for two years. I'm very fortunate. 90% of the way I live my life is what I've learned from Dan and his team in the last two years. And in Strategic Coach, your name tag is your name, the industry you're in, whether it's real estate or marketing or whatever, and then it's your Colby score. That's your name tag. So the only thing I write down with someone when I before I meet them is their name and their Colby score because I immediately can understand their brain. And most, not all, but most entrepreneurs in strategic coach have very high quick start, which means boom, 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 idea, 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 idea. And then they have little to no follow through. So what does that mean? That means ADD, diagnosed or undiagnosed. And that means they need to hire a million people. Otherwise, nothing would ever get done because they're all over the place. So I'm the very, 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 very rare entrepreneur that has high quick start, boom, 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 and high follow through. So I just say it, do it, say it, do it, say it, do it, hit the gas, pump the brakes, hit the gas, pump the brakes. It's very rare, but that's how my brain works. So I just just execute. Less talk, just get stuff done. Yeah. So that that very well describes me. Hence the reason that I'm part of a team. Yeah, that's why I right? so that I'm probably like a co-founder. Right. And I love talking to three three nine threes because you're just like idea, idea, idea. Let's get it done. Get it done. Get it done. Get it. Here's my assistant. Here's my assistant. Schedule this. Schedule this. Otherwise, nothing to get done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think one of the most interesting books about that personality type is this one by mm-hmm. Douglas Brackman called yeah, like Driven. This. He wrote it with he wrote it with the Navy SEAL, mm-hmm. Randy Kelly. 
And it's it's interesting because so many of the other books are like, I feel like they're like, hey, listen, you know, even though ADD is a disorder, you can still be okay. In fact, there could be ADD some strength. There's some good, there's some oh good things God, about it too. Amazing. And and what's interesting about this book is the amount of research that went into it about like his approach shows how it actually goes through some stuff from like National Geographic about how there's been genetic markers way like so far back about the explorer gene. Like there's 3% of the population or something that has this yes. like most of the population is is wired to, you know, for yes. consistency, for doing things like farming. Yes. You know what I mean? Like they're great farmers. They can remember to go back and tend it over and over and over That's for not- days there they they can sit still they right and and he goes through like essentially the genetic genes for the hunter right. and for the guy who wants to go over the other side of the mountain and see what's there in case there's something better for the yeah. group right and it's interesting how there's actually some chemical aspects to it that naval special warfare apparently starting to consider testing previous to letting you try out for the navy seals mm-hmm. now because there's such an inordinate number of folks in special operations forces that have these same genetic markers. And what's funny is, I feel like it's the first book. There's a couple of other ones that are close. Like I love Delivered from Distraction, or there's one called Faster Than Normal that are close. But for me, this is my top pick of like, hey, it shouldn't it's be called not. The Disorder. It was labeled that by people. It was labeled that by people who don't understand how your brain works. And he says, listen, this can go wrong for you. If you don't get a hold of this part of yourself, like you're going to end up a divorced mm-hmm. alcoholic. Yes. Okay, (laughs) like it's it's not like it doesn't come with any downsides, but essentially he's like, hey, listen, all you need to do is realize that the rest of the world was designed by people whose brains work different, who who your faults stick out like an absolute sore thumb, and theirs blend in because everybody else has the same faults as them. Not oh my god, fascinating. So you said so many things, and my brain was like doing everything I could not to interrupt that even though i apologize if i did okay so a couple things one dan sullivan before he met his wife babs he'd be he describes himself as a smart drunk that's what he would be without his wife so what you just said two dan dan's colby is a two two ten four meaning he has a 10 quick start which is the highest and a two follow-through that's why strategic coach they have you know 150 employees around Three, that's why, that's what I mean with I'm only talking, I'm not talking to the world during these interviews. I'm talking to a very small percentage of people who understand what I'm talking about because most people have no idea what I'm talking about because their brains aren't wired like this. That's my whole point. So my company is tens of thousands of people with this brain wiring. Four, one of my clients is the Schuler Scholar Fund. What is the Schuler Scholar Fund? Jack Schuler was the former uh, CEO of Abbott Labs. That's a very big company. So Jack's about 80. Oh yeah, I've done tours of I've done right. tours of some of their facilities of for uh, exactly. So he's CEO, right? So he's about eighty. So I was interviewing him. So over the last twenty years, Jack has invested well over nine figures into well over nine figures into helping kids with from underserved areas across the Chicago area and into Wisconsin go to schools like Harvard and Yale for free. So twenty years, nine figures. Okay. So when he was a child. He was a child. He was all over the place. And I was talking to him about it. It's like, oh, I'm just glad there wasn't medication at the time for that because they would have just medicated someone like that. So people like that are not wired like normal human beings. And that's, I mean, there's, it's very similar to mafia. The mafia is not wired like normal human beings. Entrepreneur, not wired like normal human beings. And, you know, there's a, one of my clients, he sent me a sweatshirt that said, I took the red pill. It's like from the matrix. So once you take the red pill, once you take the entrepreneurial pill, there's no going back to the to normal people life because you're just in a world that 
most people will never even think about going into ever. And they don't understand. They don't understand what you're talking about anyway. So the only people I'm talking to understand what I'm talking about. And again, those are the ones that are the ones that are looking over the mountain for a better opportunity. They're not farming the current. I mean, they are farming current land, but they're looking, they're prospecting the hills for bigger pieces of gold. Not because they, they're not satisfied with the gold they have now, but they realize there's greater opportunities out there. And that's exciting. That's called innovation. So I just work with the innovators, period. You know, I think what we're talking about is one of the reasons that Dan Sullivan's books has become one of my Who favorite of all time. This one that Ben Hardy wrote for him. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I don't know how long it's been out. Six months. About six A couple months. months or something. But I've, yeah, I've read it. I've read it start wow. to finish three times already. I say read. I don't read anything. I listen on Audible. Okay. I've listened to it start to finish three times, but but I, I go to it mm-hmm. almost every week. I go, I'm picking up parts of it. And like, to me, the combination of Richard Koch, 80-20, you know, and the star principle mm-hmm. and his, his work, if you can like take that 80-20 principle and go, okay, there are very few things that produce most mm-hmm. of the results I do. And, you know, there's very few things that our company does that produces right. most of our revenue. And then when Dan says, great, your job was to figure that out. Now, I know your brain immediately went to, and how are you going to do that, Jess? <laughs> you need to, you need to stop. You need to go, you need who, to go, who, who can Not do how. that for me? Do we need to hire a new staff? Right. Do we need to have, yes. do we need yes. to have a partner? Right. And so to me, the magic of this, like, I don't know, it gave me like permission to not, I feel like it gave me permission to quit trying so hard at the stuff that I'm not wired for. When Dan goes through the case, he's like, listen, there are people who love the details. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, my sister is in the middle of writing her CPA right now. And it's like, she's like my wife Mm -hmm. when they do math. They like they get like a they get like right. a little endorphin release when all the numbers lined up. It was like finishing a puzzle. You know, it's like the like the the satisfaction oh, of finishing a puzzle. And for me, know. it's like nails on a chalkboard of like, I already did all the work to earn that money. We know we got the money. This is you know like this this is we're not making any more money sitting here putting the puzzle together to to track it all. You know, and I'm like, you know, my joke is that I'm the guy most likely to land the multi million dollar right. client yeah. and then forget High to send me the invoice to get paid. You know, because like mentally, mentally, I'm signed off, right? Hey, we won. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's why what I want to know say? your Colby score. You're probably like a three, three, nine, three. If not a 10 quick start, two file. You might be similar to Dan. And I don't say that lightly because his Colby scores that even for high performing entrepreneurs, it's very rare. But like, this is what I mean. I just stay in my lane. I, if I'm not exceptionally good at something or I don't love doing it, I don't do it. Or I just outsource, find the best person to do it. I find the who. Why would I do something that I'm not good at or don't like to do? That doesn't even make any sense. See, the reason I have to read Dan's book over and over is because I have not wired don't my have brain high, well enough yeah, on that. And I have to keep follow. reminding That's myself. My point. I have high quick start. I follow through. That's my, I just do it. You don't have, I'm getting, you're right. Yep. That's not what me. I'm saying. My, my, my <laughs> co-founder. My co-founders and partners, you constantly have the talk of like, oh yeah, we need to slow down and take the time to architect a system for somebody else on the team to 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 execute that. I, I wanna I know we're winding down here, but one of my one of my favorite questions to ask people is what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? Yeah, besides the cream rises to the top, which is my favorite. That's that's number one. Number two is is what you know, what I learned in strategic coach, it's called unique ability. So that me- that means what you like to do and what you're good at. So I only do what I like to do and what I'm good at. So my entire, and then uh, Peter, Dr. Peter Diamond has helped me with this. 
in, in abundance 360 it's called your moonshot you know here's your moonshot so the purpose of my life is to be a connecting superhero for every visionary abundance investment mindset entrepreneur and share their stories with the world the purpose of my life is to be a connecting superhero for every visionary abundance investment mindset entrepreneur and share their stories with the world so that's besides hanging out with my family that's a hundred percent of my day no deviation from that and none of i work zero hours every week zero because none of this is work for me it's endlessly fun it's endlessly interesting it's endlessly lucrative and it's endless, it's I just never get tired of it because these are the people that have taken the red pill. They're the people that are looking over the hill for more prospects. They're the people that innovate at the highest level. They're the people that talk very little. They just get it done. They just do it. They don't they don't say what do you cost or charge. They just make the investment, period. And I I'm just so thankful that I have a strange brain and then I was I've been able to use this brain to help the highest performing people on the planet, because those are the ones that employ everyone else. So by helping this very small minority of people, I'm actually helping the world and very thankful for that. Love it. Well, listen, if people want to connect with you or find out more with you, where are the Sure. Uh, 25,000 plus followers on LinkedIn. So Justin Breen on LinkedIn. And as I thought we would, we barely mentioned the company's name because that's meaningless, but the company's name is Brepic. And then uh, international best-selling book is Epic Business. The Ford was written by Chris Voss, who wrote Never Split the Difference. It's number one for entrepreneurship in the U.S. and an international bestseller in six countries. So Epic Business, wherever you can get books. I'm interested about that. How did you get that connection with Chris? Right. So Chris's son, Brandon, was in my strategic coach group, in my first coach group. And so this is how my brain works. So Chris and Brandon's company is called Black Swan Group, right? Now that's the, and for people who don't know Chris Voss, he was the former FBI terrorist negotiator at the top of the top. And then he wrote Never Split the Difference. So anyone who knows anything about about anything is, you know, Red never split the difference in those who Chris Voss is. And so Brandon, who runs the company with Chris, they were looking for a financial advisor who works with entrepreneurs. So one of my clients at the time was a financial advisor who works with entrepreneurs. And so I introduced them. They wound up retaining him for all of their employees. And then when it came time to write the forward for my book, which came out last year, I'm like, oh, Brandon, your dad, that'd be a perfect fit. So that's how it happened. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. One of my mentors worked with Mm. him at the FBI a little bit, and I'm a fan. So very cool. Listen, thanks for doing this. It's a great honor, and I really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, I'm looking forward to more. You bet. Bye, everyone.